Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the show, it was the Eurovision Song Contest on Saturday night. Did you watch it? Did you enjoy it? I thought it was one of the better Eurovision Song Contests, even though we had been saying on Friday how disappointed we would be watching it without Ireland in it. Uh, so from that point of view, it was disappointing. But having said that, without, without Ireland in it, I still thought it was probably one of the better Eurovisions I've seen in quite some time. I thought the staging of it was excellent. Interval acts, usually the interval acts goes on. You think, is this ever going to end? Would you bring on the voting? And then the voting itself was super exciting from the jury vote and then waiting as we've seen over the last number of years the jury vote gets turned up on on its head it's it, I don't know for the last number of years if it's gone with who the jury votes around Europe decide the winner is that the same as the, what the public say because it's the public ultimately ends up deciding who's going to win the Eurovision Song Contest and last week when we were disappointed that Leslie Roy didn't make it through from the first semi-final I said I'd take a look after the Song Contest to find out where did she come there were 16 acts in the semi-final last Tuesday night and Johnny O'Mahony our Eurovision correspondent said maybe she was just outside of it because we knew only 10 of the 16 would qualify so I checked because they put up all of the results after the final takes place on Saturday night and really disappointed and Leslie I think herself will be bitterly disappointed she actually came last out of the 16 songs she was in 16th place so that will be dis- bitterly disappointing uh, for her but I also then took a look at how the jury voted from Ireland versus how the Irish people voted on the telly votes And if you were watching on Saturday night, just to remind you, we gave the jury vote. We gave our 12 points to France. And I think a lot of people thought that French song was absolutely gorgeous and it was a stunning performance. And because France is one of the big five, we didn't get to see it and we didn't get to see it in the either of the semi-finals. We got to see it live on Saturday night. It was just it was spectacular. It really was a beautiful song. And that young lady had a gorgeous voice. So the Irish jury decided that that was the song that they felt was the best so they gave their 12 to France they gave their 10 to Malta which was the song I had tipped to win and they gave their 8 to Iceland again a song that I reckoned was going to be in certainly in the top 5 which as it turned out it was and the winning entry Italy the jury in Ireland didn't give any votes to the Italian song that won but then when you look at the votes that were given by the telly votes from Ireland the 12 points on our telly votes went, went to Lithuania 
Lithuania. Now, I liked the Lithuanian song. They were the, the act. They were the first on stage in the first semi-final, dressed all in yellow, kind of a quirky sort of a dance tune. Did kind of a pop song. Didn't think it was worthy of winning the Eurovision Song Contest, but it was nice. But I wonder, because we would have a lot of Lithuanian people living in Ireland, did they pick up the phone and vote for their own country on Saturday night? One wonders. Anyway, that's the way the telly vote went. 12 points went to Lithuania. 10 went to Iceland. 8 went to uh, Ukraine. Malta actually was way down. It was on 4. But on the Irish people voting, 6 points went to Italy. So Irish people watching it who decided to vote liked the Italian song and the Italian song had been doing well in the jury vote but it was Switzerland and France who were battling it out for the top spots after the jury vote it was Switzerland was on top with France in second place and I think I'm open to correction but was was Italy in third place at that stage but then of course the public vote they were the ones that decided that Italy were the overall winner Manskin was the name of the of the group. They were described as a wild card in this year's uh, competition, but it obviously struck a chord with the general public because they, in the end, they came out with 524 uh, points and they were a clear winner. France then became the runner-up with Switzerland in third, Iceland in fourth and Ukraine in uh, fifth. But it was a, a rock track. It wasn't your typical Europop that normally wins the Eurovision. Eurovision. There was two songs that had one that kind of a rock chick sort of a feel uh, to it but it it absolutely wasn't on my radar at all when it started to do well. I had to Google the song to even try to remember what it was but again because it was Italy they didn't have to go through the semi-final. They're one of the top countries that put in so much money into it so therefore they don't have to. They automatically qualify Um, But it wasn't something, as I say, that was on my radar. But it had been a huge internet sensation and obviously people around Europe loved it and they have decided that we will be heading to Italy next year for the Eurovision Song Contest. And I was spotting online yesterday already the competition in Italy as to Rome obviously are out straight away putting in a pitch as to why their city should host the Eurovision Song Contest but I saw Milan was also out very strong and they're hoping to be the host so we will wait and uh, see but from an, an economy point of view the Italians are not doing that well and there's the whole thing a little bit like when Ireland used to be winning it can they afford to actually stage it whether they can afford it or not I think the the Italians say absolutely come to Italy next year we're going to host the Eurovision Song Contest so your thoughts on the competition Uh, because I don't know when we were talking about it last week and people were tipping songs like Malta and Iceland and Lithuania and Ukraine and people were liking the German song that did really badly I have to say in the competition I don't know if anybody had tipped Italy if anybody listening to us had liked the Italian song Gerard said the best part of the Eurovision was the guy who gave the Iceland jury vote he was hilarious Sweden says Gerard should have won the song that won was the greatest load of bull that I have ever heard says Jared. not a fan of the Italian winning song the Iceland jury guy he was the one who had been in the, that Eurovision movie was it that send up movie that was done yeah that was a very very uh, funny piece and the other I suppose big talking point from the Eurovision Song Contest was the United Kingdom's song and how badly they did in the competition. They got zero points from the jury and then when the public vote came in they got zero points from the public vote as well. Your heart had to go out to that young guy, James 
James Lawson I'd never heard of him uh, before didn't like the song I have to say and the first time I heard it I thought uh, can't see them doing well with that but to get nil poids from both the jury and from the public vote is just a real a real shame your heart would have to go out to him uh, I, I, I felt I, de- I felt desperately sorry uh, for him but as I say our own Leslie Roy uh, no doubt was the first thing she did after the song contest on Saturday night was check to see where did she come in the semi final unfortunately she came last uh, as well so and the big talking point again now is what do we do for next year how do we get back into the winning ways because certainly when you looked at the voting that was done this year that whole sort of political thing of everybody voting for their neighbours and regardless of what the song is like that certainly seems to have gone and it's now the best songs and the best staging of a song rises to the top and as so many people said if they'd left Leslie Roy on stage just singing the song because I don't think it was that bad a song if they just let her sing it but I just think the whole staging was wrong it didn't work there was the nerves then I think kicked in for her because of this whole staging this complicated complicated staging I think if she'd been allowed on stage just singing the song I think we possibly would have done uh, better 1850 Patricia I'm a mature rocker so I loved the Italian song they were like a breath of fresh air after all the world has been through with the pandemic I loved the French song too well well done to you but are they not two opposite ends of the stream the French song was beautiful it was absolutely gorgeous you could have been transported to it close your eyes you were transported to a cafe in Paris it was just beautiful Edith Piaf you know it was just gorgeous but they are real polar opposites to go from that to a to the rock song that won for Italy but well done glad to know that somebody listening to us liked it because as I say uh, it came out of nowhere uh, for me for sure and I can I send congratulations when I'm talking about pieces that are in the paper today there's the most gorgeous story making the front page of the Examiner today uh, written by Padre Cor and it is to do with the birth of a little baby last Friday night at Cork University Maternity Hospital and there's a gorgeous photograph of the proud mammy and daddy Linda Clifford Daly and Connor Daly welcoming their little baby Zara into the world. Now it seems Zara arrived three weeks early last uh, Friday so last Friday was the 21st of May so this This is the really bizarre twist to little Zara's birth. Zara was born on the 21st day of the 21st week of the 21st year of the 21st century. And if that wasn't amazing enough, you know, when babies are born, somebody in the delivery suite will look at the clock and say, you know, put down the time that the baby was born. When somebody looked at the clock... Zara was born at exactly 21 minutes past the 21st hour. She was born at 21.21. Isn't it just incredible? Linda, the mum, is originally from The Lock, while Connor is originally from Ballyagran, but they now live in Cross Barry. There's two other little boys at home. Jack is five and Alex is two. And according to Patrick Corr in today's Irish Examiner, uh, they are... Uh, the Linda and along with baby Zara obviously there's no visiting visiting's not going on at the hospitals uh, anymore so big brother Jack and big brother Alex had to wait at home in order to see baby Zara but they expect it to be discharged today so no doubt there'll be much uh, celebrations going on but just so many coincidences around the number 21 if a child has ever been born with a lucky number it is little Zara Doyle who is lucky number forevermore I'm assuming will be or Zara Daly my apologies will be at 21 so congratulations 
congratulations to uh, Linda, to Connor, to Zara and to big brothers Jack and Alex. Thanks to Jim in Mweedon who has updated us. Jim had texted us on Friday to say he had got an email or a text confirming that his vaccine was in Killarney, even though from Wheeling, Mallow would be closer to him. But he was looking on the positives, delighted to be going off to get his vaccine. And as he says, it'll be nice to go for the drive and check out to see how the neighbours are doing across the county bound. So off he went on Sunday. And he sent me a lovely text this morning to say, Patricia, I got my first vaccine yesterday in Killarney and I have to compliment everyone from the stewards in helping with parking and directing me to the main hall. Then a lovely lady called Sinead O'Connor, that's a famous name, who took my details and she actually offered me cork for the next vaccine. But I said, no, sure, I've come here now once, not a bother. It's not much difference between travelling to Mallow and Killarney, so I'm happy enough to come back to Killarney for my second vaccine. Then my vaccinator was a lady by the name of Faye and you would hardly have felt the needle going into my arm. My arm afterwards was a little bit sore, just if you touched it. But other than that, I'm absolutely grand. I was actually the last person to be vaccinated. And one vaccinator said that a number of people People had travelled from Waterford to Killarney to be vaccinated and she was saying to another lady would she like to change so she'd be closer to home for her second vaccine and the other lady said no I'd be happy enough to come back to Killarney but could you make my appointment on a Friday afternoon because if you could do that I could take a half day from work and then I could spend the weekend in Killarney afterwards and, the, and as the vaccinator said there'll be a lot of things opened in a month's time when you come back like hotels and restaurants and uh, pubs and she said she'll go away and have a nice weekend the vaccinator said we were fierce nice crowd back here <laughs> that's a lovely way to put it and, and Jim said I'd have to agree with her I'm also thinking that maybe I'll book a weekend away for my second vaccine good to know Jim well done well done glad to know and, and, and I loved the fact when others and I know it discommoded other people to have to travel a longer distance t- to get the vaccine but it's always lovely when you get somebody who straight away saw the positive and said look waited this long for my vaccine I'm only too glad to get into the car and go off and get my vaccine even if it means going across the county bounds into Killarney and actually making a positive rather than a negative out of it so good good to know that you had such a lovely experience and every time we hear from people who go to any of the vaccination centres everybody talks about the efficiency of it is and if if you've been you'll know what I'm talking about if you've been to a vaccination centre and if you're due to go you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you get there they are just so well organised and I need to work out because I know I keep hearing from people that a lot of the people that are working at those vaccination centres a lot of them are volunteers I mean obviously there's the people who are there who are being paid by the HSC you know the staff the who are registering you and the people like the vaccinators and all of that but a lot of the people Red Cross in particular they're all volunteers and they all turn up and they're like stewarding and the people helping out people are really great but it's a super superly efficient the way they run the vaccination centres they really are great and kudos to whoever assuming the HSE put the plans in place but every one of the vaccination centres we hear the same things coming back which is great and then Sandra was on by email to say I had a great experience attending the vaccination centre in Bantry at the weekend however Coming from Skibbereen, I wasn't familiar with the location of the vaccination centre in Bantry. The air code provided in the appointment text message is actually not the correct air code. The air code is for the nearby school. The air code for the Bantry Primary Care Centre, I found this, she said, on the air code finder, is P75 
7111. This is useful information for anyone unfamiliar with the location. Okay, for, so for some reason they've put in the wrong air code, but you're saying it is nearby and I don't know where the Bantry Primary Care Centre are where the nearby school is but I'm assuming are they very close by because I don't get the sense from your email that you got lost but that's obviously a mistake on their behalf that they've put in the wrong air code uh, finder into it and John says the signposting for the detours heading to the Killarney Road yesterday was a disgrace and I don't know if that was John heading back to Killarney for a vaccination as well I'm assuming it was I know on Friday we were saying to anybody who was going to Killarney to have their vaccination to just avoid Rathmore completely because there's detours in operation because there's roadworks going on in, in Rathmore. They've been going on for about two weeks or did somebody say the roads are closed for two weeks down around by Rathmore? I don't know if they're still, those roadworks are still in place. But the, we did have some criticism of the, the signposts for the detours that they were a bit complicated and some people were getting lost. So I'm assuming that's what John is talking about. And the number of people who said they will refuse to take a COVID-19 vaccine has declined declined yet again and it's declined since the start of this year. The Ipsos MRBI poll for the Irish Pharmaceutical Health Association said that the number of people who intend to get vaccinated are who are already vaccinated has now risen to 88% of those surveyed. That's 13 points higher than the percentage that said they would take a vaccine back in January. And the number of people who said they would refuse has also fallen. It's down at 4% of people said they don't want the vaccine, but that was at 7% in January. A further 7% still are trying to make up their uh, mind. And this telephone poll was conducted between April 30th and May 11th. Among those who said they would decline a vaccine the refusal rate was highest among the younger age group. This is the 25 to 34 year old age group but even within that age group 9% said they are opposed to the jab. So even within that age group it is low enough and the percentage of people who were unsure uh, was also highest in that younger category. That was at uh, 12% which is 5 points higher than the general population. The Irish Pharmaceutical Healthcare Association is now called for the global collaboration efforts to step up uh, responsible dose sharing and maximum production. They're saying with go- when governments have sufficient domestic supply of doses they should share a meaningful proportion with low and lower middle income uh, countries. And we are going to get to that stage in this country the way we are rocking through our vaccinations. We certainly are looking at in well into the 80s, 80% of people will have received their first vaccine by the end of June, which was what had been predicted at the start. And it looks like that is going to uh, come to pass. And certainly when we get into quarter three and certainly into quarter four of this year, we are going to to have more vaccines than we actually need and that's where it's really going to be then up to the government to decide to look at uh, developing countries and if they need a bit of a dig out with some of the vaccines that we start uh, passing it on to them instead. Actually we're going to be talking with Oxfam around that general topic because as we know the whole world, we're not all safe until the whole world is safe. We need to make sure that we start vaccinating in the developing countries because if we don't, that's where new variants are going to appear and that's where we all once again start getting affected. So we're not all safe until everyone is safe. 1850 I was in Mallow yesterday. The civil defence did a great job, extremely friendly and they made things so easy for people, says Pat from Mallow and they, uh, they would have been 
all uh, volunteers. So well done to everybody in the civil defence who were out at vaccination centres, I'm assuming, all over the country uh, yesterday. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Road Safety Authority has unveiled details of its plans to tackle the driving test backlog, with now more than 100,000 people currently waiting to sit their driving test. Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock has been campaigning on behalf of those learner drivers for quite some time time and uh, he joins me now. Good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. Now I suppose firstly it's fair enough to say this isn't really the fault of the RSA that the waiting list has grown so much. This is down to the repeated Covid shutdowns isn't it? It is and to be fair to the RSA they've kept an open line of communication with people like myself in respect of uh, you know, releasing the numbers as and when we request them by a, what we call parliamentary questions directly to the minister. And, and to be fair, uh, the director of driving, uh, driver testing and licensing, uh, you know, we've had an open dialogue there for some time. The, the big issue now is, although they say that they can get up to 50,000 people per month done on the driver theory test, uh, there, we're now being told that the RSA needs a direction from government in respect of uh, the distinction to be made between what they categorise as essential workers and non-essential. So that uh, that is still there in respect of uh, the, the driver testing regime. We argue now that you know, everybody is an essential worker, essentially, as society opens up again yeah. and you know, particularly for younger people. And it it would amaze you, actually, that it's not just about younger people. It's about people right across the age demographic. Uh, We have people in the 40s, 50s, 60s who are looking to do their driver theory test as well. And, you know, we need to get those moved online now. But what we are being told is that while while they will have the capacity to do 50,000 per per month, approximately, of the driver theory test and to do it into an online format, they're still waiting for a direction from government in respect of the distinction to be made between essential and non-essential. And and so we have to we have more fighting to be doing with government, I suppose, Patricia, you could say, in respect of... of but the RSA also have plans to extend the test centres to allow for additional lessons or additional tests when they are up and running? Yes. So on the the driver test itself then, you know, we'll say the final test, they're saying that they're going to expand the capacity. So for instance, in a centre like Mallow, for instance, which is, is the one that I would be most familiar with, where maybe if you go from two testers maybe up to additionality of one, then you are increasing the capacity up to three, for instance, as a temporary measure. That's something that is being uh, explored at present. But not only that, but in Mallow, you will see a new centre, physically a new centre being established in Mallow. The the location is yet to be uh, officially announced. We're waiting for that to happen, but it is as near as makes no difference to the existing centre. And I'm sure that the RSA will want to brief, you know, local driving instructors first before an official announcement is made for that to take place because on the 14th of June. Anyone who's taken a test in the Mallow test centre will know there's no room there to expand. There is no room there to expand and uh, I, I do know that they will be moving to a new centre and I, 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 I have been asked 
to give the RSA the courtesy of announcing this officially themselves. So I will abide by that. Okay. Except to but, say that. But will it will it mean additional testers? My understanding is that uh, they it will be a better fit for purpose centre. That's number okay. one, and that in order to get through the backlog, I'm being told that if they have to go from two testers up, you know, north of that to three testers. Uh, the information that I have as of from this morning is that that will be considered to get through the backlog. But I anticipate that given the fact that there are over 100,000 people waiting, then test centres like Mallow will have to have an increased capacity to meet with that because it, it would follow. Because if you look at the backlog in Mallow at the moment, like if you look at the three centres, uh, Mallow has a, a waiting time. Sorry, a, a number. The number of people waiting for tests in Mallow is over two thousand. So it would follow that even if you move to a new location, you're still going to have to increase the number of uh, testers as well. And I'm being told that they are looking at that at the moment. That and when you say two thousand, Sean, are they people test ready? Oh yeah, these are people. Forgive me, who have applied for their driving test. And for your listeners who are maybe drivers of long standing. We make the distinctions here between the, the people who are trying to get on the first rung of the ladder, which is the driver theory test, which would allow somebody, once they've completed the driver theory test, to be able to take part in their driving lessons, uh, but can't do so until they do the driver tearing, theory test. Excuse me. And then the second cohort of people uh, that we're advocating for are the 100,000 people throughout the country who have applied for their final driver test. Uh, that's the one where the person gets into the car, they test you, you, you get your results. And there are 2,000 people awaiting uh, a driver test for the Mallow. Just, uh, just in, in Mallow. Yeah, because in Mallow, we know uh, certainly over the last number of months we've heard of people who are one or two lessons short from the essential lessons that they must take. And of course, they haven't been able to get out with a instructor to do those lessons. And that's it. And that's exactly the point that we've been making. There has to be a discussion between government and I mean, collectively uh, at government level. This is something that I feel if I was a minister, I would be raising this at cabinet, regardless of whether I was a transport minister or not. Because There needs to be a conversation between government, i.e. cabinet, uh, Neffet, i.e. Dr. Holan and his his colleagues, in respect of the fact that if society is to open up in an appropriate way and if people are to move from the uh, pop payment, for instance, and if they they don't have their driving uh, licence, they can take up new opportunities. That's mm-hmm. the key. That's always been the key issue for me is that young people starting off particularly and older people as well that I've mentioned, you know, in order for them to take up new opportunities in employment where they are now currently maybe on a Department of Social uh, Protection payment, that they can take up those opportunities if they're not able to get their lessons, do their driver theory test, or, or even in some, in some uh, professions where you need uh, you know, a full clean driving licence can't do that because they're waiting for the final driver test. OK, well, we, we're so, expecting, you know, very significant announcements and decisions on Friday about uh, reopening. Do you think, is there any hope that driving lessons, driving tests will be mentioned? Well, well, well I am hopeful and, and I continue to lobby Minister Eamon Ryan on this. 
Um, but I've said this before in respect of Minister Ryan, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way. You know, this morning he's dealing with, uh, you know, the ramifications of the grounding of a Ryanair flight uh, plane in Minsk. You know, last week he was dealing with, you know, Cork Airport in Shannon. We need a minister that will be able to focus wholeheartedly on this issue because if there are 100,000 people waiting for driver tests and there are 100,000 people who are waiting for driver theory tests, the minister needs to give this his focus. So the answer to your question is that I'm hopeful and certainly I've been bending the ear of a few ministers about this issue and we've been raising the profile of this issue in the Dáil as well because you know we, we need the, min- the ministers, the government to internalise this issue because it's a vital issue. For but you haven't heard any really. leaks that it is going to be mentioned on Friday, uh, have you? I, truthfully, I haven't. No. Uh, Listener wants so, to know, does Sean know what's the waiting time in for the Killarney Test Centre? I know you got the Road Safety Authority, you requested all of that information. Do you have that in front of you there, what it is for Killarney? 1,000. 300 approximately for the uh, for the Killarney so so less so uh, slightly less than uh, Mallow Uh, and they're also I was reading on the papers last week uh, they're going to put in a new location to the city Uh, I'm assuming a temporary one at uh, St Finbar's GAA Club That's right so Wilton because the Wilton numbers are extraordinary as well if you look at Wilton there's nearly 6,000 people waiting for a driver test Uh, in Wilton, for the Wilton Centre. So they're now expanding that into St. Saint, uh, Finbar's. Uh, so they'll have so two test centres up and running? In essence, that's my understanding, okay. because Ballincollig has also got a significant number of people waiting, and that's a thousand. But what I will do, Patricia, is we'll post all of the figures uh, that we've received from the RSA to, to our Facebook page okay. after this. So people might, you know, individuals might have specific queries, uh, given their listenership throughout the county, uh, as to their test centre and and we're happy to do that for public Yeah because somebody else is saying what about the test centre at at Skibbereen they're hoping to expand expand that one as well Well Skibbereen you've over a thousand people waiting at Skibbereen and I, I haven't heard about what will happen with Skibbereen in terms of expanding that but if you go back to the earlier point that I made that the RSA is looking at expanding capacity so the, the location in some instances mightn't change but what they will do is maybe add on one or two or even three testers depending on the location throughout the country to, 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 to get the uh, you know to, to get down the list effectively. Yeah, but it needs to get moving. Okay, we'll keep a close eye on this and keep us updated if you hear anything, Sean. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East, Sean Sherlock. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. As we mentioned in our community diary last Friday, a new food bank is opened in the county to give a health Helping hand to those in need in the West Cork area. To talk about the Feed West Cork Food Bank initiative, I'm joined by one of the organisers, and that's Andrew Kilpatrick. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning. Uh, thank, you, thank you for having me on. Well, listen, you're, you're very welcome. How many people do you believe, Andrew, are living in food poverty? Well, there uh, was recent statistics then. I was done back in possibly 2009 that um, suggests that there was 10% of the country um, living in, in food poverty, and that's sort of as well in the rural areas as well. So whether that's changed now in regards to the pandemic, 
Um, I'm not sure, but we do know that um, there are people, unfortunately, living um, in food poverty. Shocking. That's shocking. Yeah. And I mean, only last week we were talking about the high cost of rent and people who are on a HAP payment. It's coming sure. nowhere near, near the cost of rent. And then you throw in all of the other uh, living uh, costs. Everything seems to be rising at the moment. For, for some people then, Andrew, do they feel the only way they can save is to reduce the spend on food? Yes, that is a, a, a possibility, I suppose, all right, um, unfortunately. And, you know, possibly then the, the nutrition levels possibly might go down as well, you know, the healthiness of it. Um, so that's something that we kind of want to respond to. Um, a group of us there back in November kind of came together to, to kind of uh, figure out what we could um, what we could do. And um, a, food bank, a food bank was um, at the top of the list and... Um, we then got in touch then with our friends in Feed Cork who have, uh, are helping us out, setting it up and um, showing us the ropes and kind of giving us a, a helping hand ourselves in, uh, in getting well it up done. and running. So, well done. So, uh, so outline how it works. Yeah, so what will happen is we officially launch this uh, Friday at uh, 2 o'clock and simply if you or a person that you know or love or and know about is in need of a free food hamper um, simply just text the, the number it's 087 um, 2879 118 and simply just text or call and book a food hamper by um, Thursday evening and then you simply arrive uh, at the back of the hall in Trimalique um, uh, in there back of the, the Methodist Church and we will provide a we will hand out a food hamper. And what's in the food hamper? Um, at the minute, we have um, mainly ambient foods, sort of pastas, tins, um, rice, kind of more basic stuff. But we hope then to put in fruit and vegetables. We probably possibly will have some dairy as well. But we hope to then increase it, um, and then also to link in with food cloud as well. Um, we're hoping to link up with them and they will provide uh, food for us as well, hopefully. But at, at the minute... At, yeah, at the moment, where are, you, where are you getting your food? We are getting our food from um, Feed Cork are, are helping us. They have a supply um, that they are getting from local supermarkets up there. But we will also be getting food from local supermarkets around Drimmer League. Uh, we also have some baskets in some of the uh, local churches around um, uh, as well. So... Um, that's really where it's coming from at the moment. And is it? It's not just for people in Drimmer League, though. People from anywhere no, in West Cork no, exactly. in need. Yeah, yeah. We have we've done leaflet drops um, in Bantry. We've done leaflet drops in um, Dunmanway, Skibbereen, Skull. So it's really it's not a it, no it's not necessarily a, a Drimmer League thing. It's for anyone in need, um, young or old, uh, families or no families. Um, to come and uh, avail of it. Yeah. Well done, well done. And yeah. what do you say to somebody listening, Andrew, who needs your help, but maybe too embarrassed to reach out? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand that. And um, there is, uh, I suppose, a bit of stigma around it. But I suppose I would say to them to, to simply just text. If they don't want to call, um, a text would be fine. It's a bit more discreet. Um, and just to just to, to reach out and just to text and we will have something here. There's no questions asked um, there's no strings attached and we will simply, um, we'd hope that they'd receive a warm welcome and that they would um, 
yeah, that they would. Well done. And you know, I yeah. always, I often say to people when they fall on hard times, and and I know it's a huge problem with people going to the likes of people like St Vincent de Paul. People find it very hard to make that initial mm. call or, or to reach out. But I always say to people, look, if you're down on your luck at the moment and you need a little bit of a dig out, you need a bit of a helping hand, it's here for you. And please yeah. God, things will get better for you, and then you'll be yeah. able to give back and you'll be able to donate to these organisations that helped you, so that they'll yeah. be able to go on and, and help help somebody else. Yeah, so, and it's it's the yeah. general generosity of others people want to help out so can people donate as well to you Andrew? They can of course actually and just as you say that there there's a lady in um, uh, in Skibreen who contacts us that look at I've benefited from a seed bank and it's been super and I'd like to give something back as well um, donations so yes people can donate there's a basket in um, in Centre and League and um, there's also baskets in local parish churches in Skibreen they can also donate uh, via the text number 087-287-9118. But yes, we welcome donations as well. There's no problem there. And people people can feel free to, to donate and we can ra- make arrangements um, through that number. Okay. And as you say, you had your first handing, your, your first um, run of hampers on Friday. Did did you hand, do you know how many you, you handed out? Yeah, there was, a, there, was a, there was a couple at the, at, at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Through, through not much advertising as well, through kind of word of mouth, there was a um, another chap in the Skibbereen market who someone came up and said, look, I'd like to donate some money um, to the food bank. So, you know, it's great to get the word out there. and We're, we're grateful for, for uh, C103 to... Well, listen, that's, that's, it's our pleasure. Feed West Cork, that's what Feed it's West called. Feed West Cork, yeah. Uh, no, oh, you can look that up on, on Facebook or on Instagram as well. Okay, and it's 087-287-9118. That's the number yeah. uh, to contact. And then, as you yeah. say, the hampers are given out on Friday. So on you, Friday, you need yeah, to be two and three Thursdays. Yeah. So you need to be in contact by Thursday so that they'll by have Thursday, a hamper, yeah. hamper ready for you. Listen, yeah. um, Andrew, okay. let us know if we can be of any help with anything else. Uh, but well good. done, it's... It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, initiative, and it's just it's it's just sad to the times that we are living in. But there are people living yeah. in in food poverty, and that shouldn't Great. be happening. Listen, That's good it. good luck with it, Andrew. You're very good. Thank Thanks you very a million. Much. Thanks a million. Andrew uh, Kilpatrick, what a great guy, along with the other organisers who've set up that Feed West Cork Food Bank. Please reach out if you are in need. They're only too willing to help you out. And obviously, if you can donate to them, it will be terrific as well. OK, we need to take a break. We have news at 11 on uh, the way. We're going to be talking with Oxfam in the next hour, who are looking to put pressure on governments to waiver the intellectual property rights on COVID vaccines and we need the Irish government to get behind this. It's a World Trade Organisation proposal. We'll talk about that and more after News at 11. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. When the news was on there, my phone uh, rang. I have my phone in the studio, but obviously it's on silent and I don't take calls uh, when I'm on air. And anyone that knows that I'm on air doesn't, you know, I wouldn't have anybody ringing me uh, while I'm on air. So I just glanced down at the number. It was one of these uh, 044 numbers. So I did a quick, with a big long, there was you know, a huge number of numbers uh, after it. Uh, so I quick did a quick Google search there while the news was on just to see who's ringing me from this 044203 number. And it's uh, from the 
asked me from the country cousins in Indonesia. I have to say, I don't know anybody in Indonesia, so I didn't answer the call. So it's obviously it's a, a scam one. Which of the scams, I don't know, but just to, they are still out and about and doing the rounds. So just be very careful about answering any phone calls, particularly from numbers that look any way suspicious or any way from anywhere out of the country. So outside of the country, unless you're expecting a call from a loved one uh, overseas. Michael in Castletown Bay says, Patricia, I'd love to hear Michael O'Leary from Ryanair, his reaction when he heard the news of what Michael describes as air piracy of his one of his Ryanair planes on a flight from Greece to Lithuania yesterday. This surely will send the shivers down the spine of all air travellers. It certainly was a pure, cold-blooded act of aviation piracy and it has to be now met with an immediate ban on all Belarusian flights with only a flight allowed out of the country when the gentleman that they were arrested being released. If this piracy act is going to play successfully for them, then it will become the norm. Mighty explosive, if you pardon the pun, thanking you, says Michael. Yeah, it was one that's just, it was, couldn't believe when I heard this story unfold yesterday. The flight from Greece to Lithuania forced to land after authorities in Belarus told the flight crew that there was a potential security threat on board and they instructed them then to divert to the nearest airport, Minsk. But I actually saw the flight path. And they were actually closer to Vilnius in Lithuania, which was the destination where the plane was going to. But what happened was a fighter jet was scrambled from Minsk airport in Belarus to escort the plane. Uh, And it was literally just minutes away from the Lithuanian airspace. But yeah, it was absolutely shocking. And the young journalist on board who was uh, removed, he was already kind of nervous because when he was standing at the boarding gate, uh, in Greece to board the flight. He he noticed that somebody was almost trying to take covert photographs of him and of his documentation and his paperwork. So he was a bit apprehensive getting onto the plane. But seemingly, according to some of the passengers, he got quite frightened when it was announced that the plane was diverting was going to land in Minsk because I think because he's Belarusian I think he realised what was going on and he was very nervous about it and saying to other passengers that were there you know I, I could be killed this this could be it because the death penalty is still in vogue in Belarus it's probably the is it the only European country that still has the the death penalty but yeah but he's one of the one of these political journalists who've been speaking out about the particularly about the last set of elections by uh, that Lukashenko uh, won and a lot of people reckoned it was a rigged election but you would worry for that young man absolutely but there's a huge outpouring I mean it's all over the news uh, today and not just here in Ireland obviously the fact it was a Ryanair plane Irish people really up in arms about it but it's been it's all over the news right across Europe I mean people are are really really shocked that this could happen and you know Michael uh, is right it will start pulling the fear of God in, into air travellers that this could happen, that any country could decide that they want to divert a plane because there's somebody on the plane that they want and that they could do that, you know, claiming that there's some kind of an explosive on board. It's really, really nerve-wracking uh, stuff. We'll watch, we'll watch and see how this unfolds and hopefully there'll be a good outcome for that young journalist, if, if nothing else. Uh, hi Patricia, this is back to vaccines. I got my first vaccine on the 23rd of uh, February. This says I'm a carer and I was due 
due to therefore due to receive my second job obviously this is AstraZeneca three months later would have been the 23rd of uh, May but I've heard nothing I phoned the HSC and they couldn't actually tell me when I will be getting my second job they don't have a date the person I was speaking to says I don't know I'm wondering can you shed any light on this uh, subject um Normally we'd, we'd bounce an email straight off to the HSE but obviously with the cyber security attack and all of that the HSE is slowly getting its service back up and running so uh, emails we can't email to find out what is going on the best I can do is put it out there to others who received their first AstraZeneca back in February and who therefore are due sometime around now due the second jab are many people getting their second jab I know I've heard that the AstraZeneca jabs that are coming in and that are in stock are being kept for people for the second to give people their second jab for example I know Nyack said that AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson can be given to people in their 40s but I saw a piece from Paul Reid earlier where they were saying that no it looks like people in their 40s who now are allowed to uh, enrol or register on the portal they're going to give them either Pfizer or Moderna because they're going to hold hold the AstraZeneca for the people that need their second shot because I think come June the European Union have decided they're not taking any more AstraZeneca because they were so nothing to do with the actual vaccine it's a good vaccine but they were just so sickened by the amount of times they were let down by AstraZeneca and Pfizer of course have beefed up their supplies so the European Union have decided they're going to go with uh, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson and Moderna I imagine as well so uh, what, what AstraZeneca is left I imagine is going to now all be kept for people on their second shot. So let's put it out there. If you received your your first jab in February, have you got a date yet or have you got any indication? As I say, I'm of of no help to this listener in that normally with something like that, we'd send an email off and the HSE are, are great to get back to us but I can't do that at the moment so has anybody else has anybody else had their second jab of AstraZeneca having got your first one in February due your second one in May or have you got a date for when you're getting your second one so we can give some kind of indication to this listener 1850 uh, John Paul taking your calls John, John in Bantry was on to say Drumlee South Medical Centre in Bantry went for the vaccine Everybody was fantastic from the person taking you who met you at the door, bringing you into the waiting room, waiting for your vaccine. Every one of them were great. Uh, John Bantry says, I was in there at 10.30 in the morning. Would you believe I was out again at 11? They deserve credit. And in case anyone's interested, says John, he got Johnson & Johnson. Seems a lot of people were getting Johnson & Johnson across the weekend. Seems to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I know today Johnson & Johnson has been given out as well, certainly in the vaccination centre in Mallow because Hubby is heading off to get about now he's in getting his jab and he's getting Johnson & Johnson which means the three people in our house we've all got a different vaccine Marcia was the first she got her AstraZeneca she's waiting on her second she's not due her second one until the end of June sometime I got the Pfizer last week so I'm three weeks away from getting my second one and then Hubby got the call on or the text on Friday to say he's getting his today and then the irony of it of the three of us he'll be the first to be fully vaccinated because with the Johnson & Johnson Johnson when you're two weeks I think passed and it's the one jab he'll, he'll be fully vaccinated ahead of all of us and then I'll be the next to be fully vaccinated and Marcia bless her heart who was the first to get a jab she'll be the last of us to have that official title of fully uh, vaccinated uh, so John thank you for that and it's, it's great to hear from people saying how great the rollout is going Jerry in Crosshaven is talking about the 
driving test backlog that we spoke with Sean Sherlock about and there are so it's gone over 100,000 now between people physically waiting to do the test and then you add all of the young people that are waiting to do the to actually do the theory test that they are moving that online but they've been talking about it for so long they need to get it up and running and the RSA must be frustrated as well because they're ready to roll it out online and they reckon they could be doing 50,000 theory tests a month by doing it online but they need to get the nod from the government to say yes driver tests theory tests are now deemed essential because at the moment it's it's only for or it's not they it's now they can give it to anyone at the moment they can only give it to people who are deemed essential workers they can't give it to non-essential workers but I think Sean made an interesting point the very fact that people are back to work surely then that makes them essential workers but it doesn't when they come to applying for a, a test uh, Jerry and Cross Haven was shocked to hear that the waiting list for the city was in the Wilton test centre is 6,000. He said that is absolutely huge. Even if they open the second test centre, they're talking about opening another one in St. Finbar's GA centre. They'll open a temporary one uh, there. That's a massive backlog. Yes, it is. And when you look at Mallow, uh, 2,000 people ready. This is test ready, ready to do their tests and Killarney 1,300. We'll keep a lookout. Sean is going to put it up on his Facebook page, the full list, because, you know, people are wondering about Skibbereen. Others are saying, I'm applying in Tralee. Do you know what the waiting list there is? But the waiting list everywhere is really, really uh, high. And the RSA, they're ready to go. They really are ready to go. And they're talking about expanding all of their services, but they can't do anything uh, until they get the nod from the government. Will that be part of? We know we're all waiting for Friday. There's going to be more announcements on uh, Friday. There's going to be a further... We're, we're told Friday is going to be a very significant announcement will be made and decisions will be made to restore society to some kind of pre-pandemic status. We're going to see the reopening of uh, three of the sectors which really have been most adversely affected by the lockdown at the end of July. We're talking about aviation opening up. We're talking about indoor hospitality and sport and live culture all in line for some kind of reopenings this summer. The government are still saying that they might delay the introduction of the EU-wide digital green certificate that's the one would allow people to travel to other European countries at the moment the government is saying that they're going to hold off on that until August ministers though are pressing for that to be opened up before the end of July under the scenario set out by several ministers across the weekend though indoor hospitality in restaurants and pubs that will be allowed from early July and then in addition spectators will be allowed at selected sporting events. Now it looks like it's going to be as long as the numbers do not exceed 5% of the capacity. That mightn't sound like a lot but when you look at a place like Croke Park if they allow 5% that would mean 4,000 spectators would be allowed in. The Aviva Stadium 3,000 people would be allowed in and that percentage of capacity then obviously would increase as as the summer progresses and more and more people get uh, vaccinated and the confidence has all been boosted primarily by the success of the National Vaccination Programme in meeting its targets and it's it's now likely that one million vaccine doses will be administered in this, the month of May alone and there's growing confidence as we mentioned earlier that the government's initial plan of 82% of all eligible adults 
who want a vaccine will have it by the end of June and they are very much on target uh, for that. So with that all going ahead, Friday's announcement does look like it is going to be quite positive. The Minister for Culture, Catherine Martin, she's working on a detailed programme that will allow live events to be piloted from late in June. And what they're looking to do, and you may have heard this with Barry on the news, they're looking to do something like live outdoor concerts. They did a trial run in Liverpool earlier this month, hugely successful. Everyone that went in had to have a test before they went and then they tested them all within the following 10 10 to 14 days after the event and it was hugely successful and there was no spread of COVID because it looked like it could be one of those super spreader events and it wasn't. So there's great hope being taken from that. So they'll start obviously with small events. If that works, then it gets expanded. And obviously, the more people that have a vaccine in their arm, the better it's going to get and the more things that can open. But then it isn't all positive news because the Restaurant Association, they came out yesterday and they said that as soon as hotels reopen and hotels are due to reopen on the 2nd of June, they are then going to mount a High Court challenge arguing the distinction between a hotel restaurant and a standalone restaurant was very, very unfair. A senior public health official warned that Ireland runs the risk, though, of a spike in variant cases this summer if we move too quickly to increase indoor social mixing in July or if we allow the importation of COVID-19. So all of these Let's open up the country. All comes with a bit of a worry. What happens if we import new variants uh, of it or if we move too quickly to have everybody in a door indoors? And of course, what's going to happen is the hotels will be allowed to open. If you're staying in a hotel, then you can sit in their lovely restaurant inside. But of course, when restaurants are allowed to open, they're going to be opening the week later, but it'll just be for outdoor An outdoor is fine if we get a lovely, long, warm, hot summer that we all dream about. But I was looking yesterday at some of the downpours yesterday afternoon. There was a hail shower at one stage that I just managed to get into a shop on and had to stay in the shop until the downpour passed. You would have been, even with an umbrella, you would have been absolutely soaked yesterday. And it struck me because previous to that, the sun had been shining. And then after the hail shower, the sun came back out again. But I was thinking if you were sitting somewhere really nice, having a lovely lunch and you got a downpour like that. I mean, and that's an, that's an Irish summer, isn't it? So, I mean... I can see how difficult it is going to be for restaurants, but I can also see on the other side, if we rush it too quickly and we have everybody socialising in enclosed areas and we don't have enough people vaccinated. I mean, are we going to be back to square one and nobody wants lockdown? We're easing out of this lockdown and we never, ever want to go back again. And certainly vaccines are the way to go. And there was a new study showing that the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca vaccines, they're only 33% effective against the Indian variant if you've only had your first dose. That's three weeks after the first dose. They're still 33% effective, though. That in itself is some little bit of uh, good news. But you need to have the second dose. Two doses afterwards for Pfizer, it's up at 88% against the Indian variant and for AstraZeneca, it is at 60%. So we need people to have the two uh, doses and then we can really try to get back to some kind of normality. Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet said Ireland would have less than 50% protection 
against the Indian variant during July uh, because not enough people would have received both doses. So that's, I'd say, where Neffert will come from when, when they look at July and while the numbers are good and we're getting people vaccinated, we just won't have enough people with the two doses to really start opening up everything indoors in July. We'll wait and see what gets announced but as I say another announcement due and it's going to happen on Friday. 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Walsh Engineering Supplies there in Mallow. They're looking for a part-time worker it's to do light maintenance work. Experienced legal secretary required that's for Hallisey and partner solicitors they're based in Bandon while a bicycle bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor wanted for Cycle Scene Bike Shop that's on Blarney Street in Cork and the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland they're recruiting home care and daycare workers it's for work in Formoy in Connor and in the Mitchellstown areas you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie now Oxfam Ireland has called for an Oireachtas committee to urgently examine proposals proposals to waiver intellectual property rights for COVID-19 vaccines to ensure that developing countries have free and equal access to these life-saving jabs. Michael McCarthy Flynn is Head of Policy with uh, Oxfam Ireland and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome to the programme. How far behind are developing countries when it comes to the rollout of COVID vaccines? Well, unfortunately, just 0.2%, so that's less than 1% of vaccines distributed so far have gone to low-income countries. And we estimate that 9 out of 10 people in many developing countries are unlikely to get um, a COVID-19 vaccine this year. Some estimations are that they probably, low-income countries won't be fully vaccinated till 2023. Whoa. And we are all not safe until everyone is safe. We need to protect the entire world. I mean, that's very much the case, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, we don't want an island um, of, of countries like Ireland and Europe vaccinated. Like, it's brilliant that the rollout is happening um, here and we're seeing things opening up. But an island of us vaccinated while large populations within the world remain unvaccinated is a recipe for new variants arriving and it will interfere in trade and travel um, and the global economy opening up. You know, we all have, the companies based in Ireland have extremely long supply chains based in a lot of low and middle income countries and that will um, have problems not just on a health level but on an economic level as well. Can you explain what this World Trade Organization's proposals means and why we need Ireland to support the waiver? Well, basically, um, when any new product or service is developed, they're given um, property rights over that. So when the design for the recipe for the new vaccines um, were developed, the company issues a patent for that and they have control over then those rights um, for a certain number of years. Um, But the WTO, which protects these rights, which is the World Trade Organization, recognised that in 
moments of extreme public health emergencies around the globe, these IP rights should be waived to allow as much production in the system globally to push out, you know, emergency vaccines or medicines. So that's what the TRIPS were is proposing, that any intellectual property rights that the existing vaccine manufacturers would have would be waived for the for a short term for the term of the pandemic to allow other generic manufacturers around the world to produce it as quickly as possible and to allow way more production to be brought online uh, as soon as possible. And this is different, uh, Michael, to the World Health Organization and the COVAC initiative, which makes vaccines available to developing countries. Isn't yeah, it? This is so, different. So the COVAC initiative is, is a positive initiative. Basically, it's a donation-driven initiative um, where leftover vaccines um, from the rich world are donated to poor countries. The challenge is the need is so large, we can't donate our way out of this pandemic. Um, I think only about 60, 70-odd million has been donated so far. Um, and the issue isn't, and the WHO has recognised this, isn't the lack of money in the system or, or the lack of willingness, is the lack of pie. We need to make the vaccine pie bigger. Um, and, and COVAX won't do that, unfortunately. And there's two elements. The, the TRIPS waiver was one element in terms of getting rid of the legal rights to produce this for the duration of the pandemic. The other is the know-how and the technical knowledge behind this. And the WHO has set up another prop platform for vaccine makers to share that with generic makers around the world so they have the capacity and knowledge um, to, to develop these sophisticated vaccines. Unfortunately, no vaccine maker has signed up to that yet. Have many countries already backed the World Trade Organization's waiver? Yes, and, and, and this is the unusual thing. Ireland and the EU are one of the few um, places left that isn't supporting it. So over 100 countries, most of them obviously low-income and middle-income countries that don't have easy access to vaccines. We, you probably saw a few weeks ago the Biden administration signed up to this. Yeah. Um, since that countries like Canada... And came very, out and were very vocal about it. Yeah, we're very vocal and, and surprisingly so because a number of the vaccine makers were, were are being, you know, our American Pfizer being the most uh, um, obvious example. Um, but for some reason, the EU is digging its heels in and saying that the trips, they're coming up with a lot of what we would consider spurious reasons. And I think Ireland needs to show leadership. There, there, there seems to be division within the EU. Not all EU countries are comfortable with the opposition. And even within the Irish government, different ministers have been quite positive and other ministers have been negative. But I think it's very important for Ireland's reputation as you know, a champion of poor countries' rights um, to take a leadership stand here and and maybe to challenge the EU's positions and, and to use its diplomatic um diplomatic channels in terms of other countries who've shown an interest in 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 passing this waiver. But is it that people don't want to upset big pharma? I take it the pharmaceutical companies are against it. Well the, they they obviously are against it, but they were against measures within the AIDS um pandemic. I worked in Southern Africa in, in the early two thousands and I saw the huge benefit opening up cheap medical production there. But unfortunately Millions of people had to die in, 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 in the time that it took. And people were afraid to upset pharmaceutical uh, interests at that time as well. But eventually it became 
such a, 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 a catastrophe in these countries that it was no longer tenable. And the world didn't end when, when we had generic medicines produced in terms of aid. And the same will happen here. So I think, you know, there's a leadership opportunity for, for Ireland that which, which do you want to deal with? Do you want to deal with the global health crisis? Should that be our primary concern or should it be the interests of pharmaceutical companies who, remember, even if this waiver is passed, they'll still make a lot of money and, and justifiably so because of the investment they've put into this. It's not about stopping them making money. It's about allowing other producers fill the gap in the production um, cycle that isn't being filled by these few companies at the moment. OK, and as individuals, Michael, is there anything we can do to help? Well, what we are putting together a People's Vaccine Ireland campaign. It'll be coming live in the next few weeks, so people can keep an eye on that. But I would encourage people that if, if they feel strongly about this, to contact their TDs. As, as you've said, what we feel is there needs to be a proper debate on this. You know, there's what has happened in the Iraq so far is uh, TD will question the government. The government will throw out a one or two line of response, and it doesn't really get into the details. So we've asked, um, either the EU Affairs Committee or the Enterprise Trade and Employment Committee, the two relevant committees, to look at this in detail, to bring in the pharmaceutical companies, to bring in the international experts, the WHO, and for Ireland to have an informed debate, and at least then we'll have an informed position. I'm not sure we have a fully informed position. So I would urge um, anybody in Cork uh, to contact their TDs to say, at least have a proper debate about this. That's okay. the least Ireland can do for all the people who are waiting, like we have been waiting for vaccines around the world. OK, and uh, finally, Michael, how is Oxfam and, and your work, how are you getting on and how has it been getting on during the pandemic? Has it been tough? Well, it's tough for us. Um, but remember, we're, we're, it's, it's way tougher for the people that we're working with. Like we have colleagues now in India. It's, it's a pretty desperate situation yeah. where we have reports of, you know, friends of colleagues and family members dying in hospital steps because of lack of oxygen. It's, it's, it's really a desperate situation there at the moment. Um, and we're doing all we can in terms of the work we do um, to try and address that. But really, it's, it's overwhelming at the moment. And we really feel for our colleagues because we're getting vaccinated here, but we don't know when our colleagues will be vaccinated or their family members. And we have, you know, situations with, with our medical teams ready to roll out vaccines. And they just aren't there. OK. All right. Listen, Michael, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks for covering. Good this. morning Thank to you. you. Bye bye. Michael McCarthy there, who is Head of Policy at Oxfam Ireland. 1850-333-103. John Paul uh, taking your calls. Just on uh, the listener who was waiting on the, was there a name on it that wasn't, got the first vaccine on the 23rd of uh, February and then AstraZeneca three months later would be due it on the 23rd of May. Hasn't heard anything. Got onto the HSC. They couldn't tell her, this listener, when she would be entitled to, when she would be getting her second one and could we shed any light on it? Well, Noreen was on to say, Patricia, I'm in the same boat. I got my first vaccine also on the 23rd of February. I still haven't heard anything. But then somebody has very uh, very correctly, and I should have thought of this, pointed out the AstraZeneca jab went back to 16 weeks. It was 12 weeks and they pushed it out to, to 16 
from 12 weeks to 16 weeks so there will be another month for those people to wait even though I heard Paul Reid at the weekend saying that they're bringing that back to 12 weeks but it's going to take a couple of weeks for the catch up for the people that were waiting. So possibly for the people in February who were waiting the reason that you haven't heard is you were you were going to have to wait another month even though I don't think you will be waiting another four weeks so you should be due to hear soon. So thank you. I should have remembered that that they had pushed out AstraZeneca from 12 weeks to 16 weeks. John Paul taking your calls 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 We had some calls earlier in from the Middleton area including one from Magella was on said no water in Middleton does anybody know why we've no water in Middleton we cannot Irish water and unfortunately there was a burst water main and repairs are ongoing particularly around the St Mary's Road area of Middleton and they are hoping and that general area they're hoping to have supplies back by three o'clock this afternoon but they're working on it. It was a burst water main in Middleton. Now Blackwater Search and Rescue have been involved in search and rescue operations in local communities and indeed nationwide since 1981 and they operate on a voluntary basis relying on fundraising. So to chat about their work and with details of the Blackwater 169 Challenge I'm joined by Noel Hayes who is the fundraiser officer with the group. Good morning to Noel. Good morning Patricia and, you, and thank you so much for having well, me. Well you, you are very welcome. You're celebrating your 40th anniversary at the Blackwater Search and Rescue which is quite a, an achievement. Tell me a little bit for people who are maybe unaware of you of the type of work that the unit does. Well indeed uh, Patricia um, we're on the go since um, 1981. I suppose we came together we were uh, or Specifically, we're, we're, we're um, a diving um, club. But um, back in 1981, it was decided that there were so many tragedies and so much of a need for to have a search and rescue uh, facility in the area that we got together and, and we set up the club back in 1981. And um, since 1981, we've been operating and we've been on in excess of over 200 search and rescue operations. Uh, recovered in excess of um, 100 um, missing persons. Um, the UNIS itself, at the moment, we've always um, had approximately 30 uh, people in, in, on the team. We've 33 at the moment. Those would be divers um, who would be specifically search and rescue trained. And also we have support personnel, um, coxswains, that's the people who drive the boats and do the other sort of work. And all those would receive the same training as well. Well done. It all and it always amazes me. Groups like yourself, and including this, the RNLI as well, but other search and rescue groups, you never seem to be short of volunteers. People to step up and say, "Yeah, I'll join." No, no, we've we've all, always been very lucky, and and the standard of the people who join units like us is is exceptional, and their dedication, the same thing. As well as that, then the other units you mentioned there, the RNLI, the civil defence. Um, and all Coast Guard and all that we're all um, we all work together then on an operation so we, we, you know no one is competing against each other or anything yeah, like that you're we all, all, you're all there to help and, and we share we share we share and train together even and you're all volunteers which indeed, is, which indeed. Is... we're all voluntary, uh, volunteers so we rely totally on fundraising that's donations from the public here to four we would have been um, 
doing um, church gate collections and uh, fin swims uh, for charity and street collections and that. But as you know, since the pandemic set in, um, all that type of fundraising has gone and probably will not return maybe because people don't use cash as such now. And and as well as that, then people aren't um, used to stopping even talking to people on the street it's going to take a while for any any of that to come back. I, I, I think you're right. And you you mainly operate in Cork, though. Is, is that right? Uh, well, our main base, we'll say, is, is in North Cork here. We have carried those numerous searches throughout the country as well. We've been called into a system on searches. We're actually part of a bigger network of divers um, with Diving Ireland. So in, in the um, uh, country we have in, in excess of 80 clubs. Not all of those would have search and rescue units, but we would be one of the main um, search and rescue units within the country, and we do a lot of the training. Um, members of our unit were involved in the writing up of the module because when we decided um, to organise ourselves, there was absolutely nothing to go on uh, because um, search and rescue hadn't, been looked at from a recovery point of view. Yeah, you were starting from scratch. You were, you were, you were in writing the book, really. Well, we actually did write the book. (laughs) (laughs) You hit the nail on the head. We were well. We did. We part of us. We collaborated with with similar um, um, units throughout the country and wrote the book. And that module now has been accepted worldwide as being the um, the module for search and recovery. That's incredible. And so when the need arrives, you get the call and, and, and off you go. I mean, for example, I didn't realise this. You were part of the, the Irish Coast Guard, the, the rescue, the helicopter off Black Sod. Some of your members went there? Yeah, that was a, that was a national call. We got a call there and um, we, we had 15 divers travelled up to that particular mission and we brought two ribs, which are rigid, rigid inflatable boats with us. On that, that was um, different, a different type of search for us, and that was a bit further out to the end. Um, searching was at 30 metres plus, which is well within our limits, and we trained for us, but we, we were part of that um, overall effort. That was an overall effort. That, um, yeah, but I always, felt, I always felt with that, for all of you involved, it was almost like you were trying to bring home one of your own. Search and rescue, and the way we teach it, even we're, we're actually, we don't actually search for bodies. We're searching for fathers, mothers, brothers, yeah. sisters, and in that case, yes, colleagues. Yeah. So you know, we, 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 when when we're on the search, we we are aware of um, what we're trying to do. Because that was such a tragedy. That that really was. Okay, tell me about your fundraising um, challenge. This is the one six nine, the Blackwater one six nine challenge. Tell me about that. Well, um, the Blackwater 169 challenge itself, um, that, that is, uh, we decided how are, are we going to, to try and raise some funds. It costs a minimum of about 20,000 just to keep us um, operating each year. So if funds aren't coming in, ongoing costs, and our biggest costs are, are actually insurance that's for our boats, um, for our vehicle. And for our premises and that, that would be our biggest cost. So we need to keep these t- ticking over the whole time. Our, our volunteers are, are totally unpaid, so that, that's, that's, they will turn up anyway. But they need proper equipment um, and facilities in order to be able to carry out their training and, of course, to go on the searches themselves. But they, we decided to uh, swim the equivalent of the length of the Blackwater, the 
Blackwater River is uh, 169. That's the 169, yeah. Well and done. that's where the 169 comes in. Yeah. So we said we'd, we set up an I don't yet page, and um, we once we set it up, then we, we, we asked that um, if people would like to donate to us, and um, also if people wanted to join us on us. And I'm delighted to say that, that since we did send, send it up, several different clubs have joined us on the challenge, and some of them have set up their own um, pages for us. The Blackwater Triathlon Club, that's um, with Declan O'Keefe and, and Furlong, they set up um, a page um, for us, and they are swimming the distance as a club themselves. That's fantastic. People are great. People are yeah, great. We, we, we have we had we had another couple if I could just mention them because we we were overwhelmed by by some um one of our members is uh, he's an Ironman he's also a very dedicated um such a recovery diver with his team and he's kind of team Billy, Billy Carr they've decided to swim us in the sea and at this stage they've doubled their distance they went to carry and back as such uh, <laughs> and even one a, a young girl Gillian uh, Condon she. She um, set up um, a fundraising page um, for her birthday and uh, dedicated to us. And I thought that was really kind and unselfish thing for a young girl to do. Well, it's one of those things you hope, we all hope that we will never need uh, or any of our family will ever need uh, the, the help and assistance from the search and rescue. But you, you never know when that day could come. So in the meantime, it's just it's confidence to know that you guys and gals are there and that you're funded properly and that you have the money that you require. So uh, I'm, I'm ho- really hoping that people uh, dig deep for you because you really are, you're, you're incredible, the work that you do. And it's just the fact that you're all volunteers uh, really is amazing. So we really are encouraging people uh, to help out. So the, where's, what's the I donate that people can go to? Well, you know? um, it's I donate dot ie forward slash blackwater one six nine challenge. challenge. Or indeed, people can look us look up our Blackwater Tobacco Club Facebook and there's there's ongoing pictures. We've been hampered somewhat, as as you can imagine, because of the pandemic. Um, people haven't been able to travel for a lot of us, and um, a lot of people aren't living near sufficiently near enough to water, or they haven't been able to get together as as a group to to, to do um, the, the challenge with us. But um, I'm sure that things are going to open up and hope, we're they hoping will. that, that, that it will take off. We'll all stay positive. Listen, Noel, it was a pleasure talking to you. Continue good luck with the with everybody involved with the Blackwater Search and Rescue and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. And thank you, Patricia. God. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. It looks like a lot of people have been receiving these scam calls that I mentioned while News at 11 was on. I noticed a number popped up on my phone from 044. It wasn't 00 because it was 044. You're thinking straight away, oh, is that some family ringing me from the UK? But it was 044230 when I Googled it. It turned out to be somewhere in Indonesia. So obviously it's a scam. So I didn't answer it. Somebody says, Trisha, I got a number of calls over the weekend from a 0053 number. And you see, when you look at that very quickly on your mobile phone, you think it's it's uh, an, an 053 number, so you might think it's from somebody in Ireland. Anyway, this sister says, did a quick Google search on it. It turned out to be from Cuba. And I'm assuming you don't have anyone in Cuba at the moment. One of the calls, though, came at 1.15am in the morning. Now, that is a tad frustrating to be woken up by a scam call. Richard in North Cork says he got three of the same calls that I got from the 044 uh, type this morning. Totally scam calls. But he initially thought it was his brother in the UK 
UK. So he said, you do have to be very careful because when you first glance at it, it looks like it's from the UK. And I have to agree with you, Richard. My initial thing was, is that a UK number? And then I said, oh, there's only one zero. So yeah, you, you do have to be very, very careful. Now, lots of calls coming in about different uh, issues. John Paul said a number of people were on who were out and about over the weekend. Obviously, retail has opened up and people are going out doing their shopping. But a number of people were caught out because they couldn't find a public toilet to use. Some were, were talking about retail parks they were in, couldn't find a public toilet. Mary in Castletown Roach came shopping to Mallow. At the weekend, she couldn't find any toilet open. No public place was uh, open. Um, in, well, in Mallow, if you were around by Market Square, Duns in Market Square, they have public loos that are open. I don't know about the actual public toilets as well down off the park road. Are they are they open? I know people are talking about coffee shops are selling coffees for takeaway, but that many of them don't have access uh, to their toilets. And I'm assuming that's a staffing issue as well with keeping the toilets uh, clean. But yes, listen, it's one of those ongoing things that we have been discussing, certainly since the start of lockdown the lack of proper public toilets. We've had many councillors on as well. It really is an issue for a number of people. Then Sean was in a shop over the weekend. Here's a b- bizarre incident that happened to him. So he was inside the shop, and he was in the store and somebody came in with a dog but the dog wasn't on a lead. A store worker said to the person, would you mind putting your dog on a lead? And they were, they were seemed to be okay about allowing the dog in as long as he was on a lead. But the person who had the dog with them, refused. So the worker says, well, if you, have, if you don't have a dog on a lead, you're going to have to leave the shop. The person refused to put the dog on a lead and also refused to leave the store. Then the store worker said, I'm going to have to call the guards. And they said, ring them. Isn't that bizarre? I, I mean, it's a, it would be very unusual to see somebody even walking in with a dog. I mean, how often have you gone to a shop and you see a dog tied up outside while somebody pops in to the supermarket? And lots of shops have that rule, unless it's a guide dog or an assistance dog. You don't bring a dog in. But some people law unto themselves. Uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a strange one uh, indeed. Thank you for that, Sean. And then Grace is in a bit of a pickle over security cameras in her neighbour's house and is wondering if anybody can offer ad- advice or a solution to this. Where she lives, her neighbour who lives right across the road has erected security cameras on the outside of his home. They're a web security camera, but they're pointing towards Grace's house. She's got young children, so she doesn't like the idea of her young children out and about playing being recorded. She also feels that the angle of the camera, they're actually pointed almost at her house. So she's fearful if she's upstairs changing her clothes. And she said, obviously, she keep the curtains closed, but she's just worried about the privacy element uh, of it. Now, she has spoken to the neighbour because that's the obvious one. You'd say, well, could you have a chat with the person about where the cameras are pointed? And the person said, look, they're only for security. The person has installed them because they and they've put it out facing the road because they want to see the cars passing on the roadway. I don't know why. But Grace is just wondering under GDPR and all of that, where does she stand? Because she feels with the angle of the camera, her house is on the security camera uh, is, and she reckons it could actually see in her windows. I don't know, has anybody else come up with that? I mean, I've, lots of people have security cameras in, but they'd be facing towards maybe their own front door. Now, I have seen security footage of, you've often seen it online, of cars passing a house and the, the, the police and the Gardaí will go to people's houses when they spot security cameras if something's happened in an area and ask for their footage just to see if they can see if there was a particular car that they're trying to uh, track down. But I don't know... Could you ask to go in to 
because obviously you've been talking to the neighbour I would go in and say could I see how much of my house is actually on your security camera could you ask that and maybe the camera could be angled so it's just the roadway outside if this person deliberately wants to track and I don't know why they want to track cars passing their front door but maybe you could ask for the footage just to go in and see on the cameras because while the camera might be pointed towards your house but it might actually be picking up any part of your house at all. But anyway, let's give it out to see has that happened. Has anybody else been in a situation like that with a neighbour with a security camera where Grace just feels there's too much of her house on this neighbour's security camera? 1850-333-103. If anybody can offer words of advice uh, to Grace, uh, please. A uh, couple of things on sports. Eileen out on Bear Island. Morning to Eileen. Good, good to have you along. Wants to say, well done to Padraig Harrington and to Shane Lowry on coming fourth in the PGA the golf tournament at the weekend she said it was absolutely great to see them both walking together off the green and of course the reason she particularly wants to congratulate Padraig Harrington with a name like Harrington he has to have Bear Island collections and of course he does so congratulations to our golfers and then we go from golfing to rowing because we've been asked to send congratulations to Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy on their gold win yesterday that was in the lightweight men's double skulls at the World Rowing Cup Rowing Cup Championships and also congratulations to Lydia Heafy because Lydia won silver at the World Rowing Rowing Cup in the lightweight women's single skulls and that comes in from all the gang in Skibbereen who are very very proud of their rowers and why wouldn't they be now a number of or, or before I go to some people on vaccines keep your questions coming in for Annalise uh, please she'll be joining us in a couple of minutes on the programme you can text uh, or call John Paul even though the phone lines have been busy today so it is easier with a question if you text or WhatsApp me please 0862 103 103 a Mid Street listener says Patricia I'm just wondering if you could find out for me please the Clonakilty Street Carnival is it going ahead this year it normally takes place in June I came across it when passing I'm assuming it was the year before last it wouldn't have been on last year would it because of the pandemic but I came across it by accident and would love to return again this year because it was a fabulous day out so the Clonakilty that's from a Mill Street listener the Clonakilty Street Carnival does any, are any of the organisers listening to us this morning? Does anybody know if it's going ahead this year or not? Because a listener from Mill Street would love to attend. So I don't know if something could be going ahead in June. I know there's great plans to try to get things back up and uh, running, but it's just, it's so difficult because we still don't know where we are and what's opening up. So that still is a, a bit of a problem for sure. And then on vaccines, I mentioned, I was talking about AstraZeneca and the Pfizer vaccine and it was a report that came out from England showing the effectiveness against the Indian strain and obviously the Indian strain is causing huge complications in England because we know England is way ahead of us when it comes to the rollout of the vaccines but they're also way ahead of us in the opening up of their country Uh, but the Indian variant now is causing a little bit of a question mark over the opening up so there's lots going on to find out about the vaccines that are currently in use at the moment Pfizer and AstraZeneca are the two main ones in the UK and they were showing how effective it is against the Indian variant and while it is effective to a lesser extent after one shot they've really proven in the UK that you need to have the second jab to make it more 
effective against the Indian variants. So there's a bit of a push on in the UK to get the second one rolled out because the UK made the decision to give AstraZeneca wait 12 weeks for the second shot, which is what we'd been doing. And then on the Pfizer, they also waited 12 weeks, which obviously we didn't. We give it after four weeks. But now there's a push. They're really pulling back on that and trying to get as many of the second shots in as possible. And somebody was wondering, Patricia, what, what about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine against the Indian variant? Was there any mention of that? Well, there wasn't a mention in the UK study because they haven't been giving, giving I don't know if they've been given any Johnson & Johnson or if they've been given any, it would have been very low doses. But I did read a really good piece from uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci's group, kind of like the same as our NIAC, our immunisation group, the equivalent of that in America, where they were looking at Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson because that's the main two that they've been using in the States and they've proved that it's very efficient against the current strains that they were dealing with, but also against the Indian variant. So yeah, the Johnson and Johnson would be very similar to the AstraZeneca in the way it works and the efficiency that it's giving. And it's like the Pfizer is very similar. The Moderna would be very similar to the Pfizer to the Pfizer to the Pfizer vaccine. So when you're reading any of those reports, if you've been with Johnson and Johnson, you're kind of looking at the information from AstraZeneca. And if you've been given a Moderna, you'd be looking for the information from what Pfizer came out with. So yes, it is uh, definitely proving to be very efficient against the Indian variant. And of course, the big plus on the Johnson & Johnson jab, which I read up about over the weekend when the husband was getting it today. It's after two weeks, you're deemed fully vaccinated, which is fantastic, one jab. But it's been described as the vaccine that keeps on giving because I read a report that after four weeks of the Johnson & Johnson it's even more effective than it was when the people were deemed fully vaccinated after two weeks. So for those getting it, there's definitely a lot of pluses and bonuses to it. Somebody said AstraZeneca was put back to 12 weeks, according to the six o'clock news last night. It was. They had decided to push out AstraZeneca to 16 weeks in Ireland. And that's when there was the question mark over the very, very... uh, rare chance of people getting a class uh, while they were waiting for further information to come back they pushed it out to 16 weeks and I think that's the reason why the people who were contacting us who got their jab in February and were counting down 12 weeks because when they got the jab initially they were told 12 weeks to the second shot then that got moved to 16 weeks and that's why I think those people are querying, scratching their heads going, why aren't we being called for the second one? So you will be called for the second one but I did hear Paul Reid when they've decided to go back from 16 weeks back to the 12 weeks that it's going to take a couple of weeks to catch up for the people who are waiting. So you will get the call. You definitely will just hang in there. Uh, Hi Patricia, do you know when 35 to 39 year olds will be allowed to register for their vaccines? That's from Denny. I don't and I'll tell you why I don't because at the moment we've just finished up looking at the 45 to 49 year olds. I think yesterday it was the turn of the 45 year olds, wasn't it? So we've gone into the 40s now for people registering for a vaccine and we also know the people in their 40s are going to be offered either the Pfizer or the Moderna. They're not going to be offered AstraZeneca. They're not going to be offered the Johnson & Johnson. And the HSE at the weekend came out and said they will shortly open up the portal to invite people aged 40 to 44 to apply for their vaccine. So they haven't done it yet. So we're expecting it sometime this week. There's normally 
a lag of mm, maybe five days to a week between when they finish off on one group and then they sort of start the processing of that and then they'll invite the next group. That's certainly how it's been done when the 60s, people in their 60s were registering and it was done when people in their 50s were registering and now they're doing the same thing for people in their 40s. So the 45 to 49 euros can register at the moment. So shortly they'll invite the 40 to 44 year olds and then I'm assuming after that Denny when all of the 40 year olds have been vaccinated it'll then start to go down into the 30s and you will be the first group in that the 35 to 39 year olds so you've another group ahead of you to get registered first and then hopefully they'll open it up uh, for you and then when I was talking about the weather and so much rain and is it ever going to stop somebody says Patricia don't do you know by now what Irish weather is like and don't the powers that be know what it's like we've lived in this country all of our lives so we know winter or summer it's all the same thing we need to get back to going out the way we were before Covid not many people were in pubs on Monday Tuesdays and Wednesdays we live in a rural area in the countryside and the pub closest to us before Covid on a Saturday night there'd have been four people in there plus the barman that made five and that was on a good Saturday night why can't they reopen particularly some of the smaller pubs well let's wait and see what gets announced on Friday for the next stage of the reopening 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic See Cork Coco.ie. Mitchellstown CBS Secondary School they're holding a fundraising raffle it's to raise funds to go towards building a new science lab for the school tickets are 5 euro each and they are on sale in local shops in Kildallery and in Mitchellstown or they can be bought directly from the school's website which is cbsmitchellstown.ie The draw will take place on the 8th of June. Great prizes up for grabs including hotel stays they're offering concert tickets and they have spa vouchers etc. And Cranes Walk and Roll takes place over the June Bank Holiday weekend which is the 4th due to the 7th of June. You're invited to wheel cycle, run, jog, walk or swim your way through a 5k challenge. Funds raised it will help build a fully inclusive, fully accessible playground for families and friends of Crane clients. The Crane Centre is in just outside of Ovens and it provides solutions for families with neurophysical disabilities. See Walk and Roll at Crane Centre Ireland. And as we mentioned earlier, Feed West Cork. This is a new food bank initiative. They're helping people in need in a very discreet and confidential way. If you need a helping hand, get in touch by phone or by text on 87 287-9118 or through their Facebook Messenger. They would welcome food donations if you can help. You can contact Esther on that same number 087-287-9118. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Keep your questions coming for Annalise Dressel. If you have a nutritional question, get it into us, please. Mary says, Patricia, just like to draw your attention to an RTE series that is aired every Monday night. It's called 
Dr. Cassidy's Casebook. It features Dr. Marie Cassidy uh, and her interesting life, both private and uh, personally. I personally find it fascinating. And if you're not too squeamish about all things in the world of pathology, it's well worth a view, says uh, Mary. And I think we're up to episode number three. I don't know how many. It's been on for the last two weeks. And actually I saw it again last night. They re-show it on a Sunday night because I spotted it last night as I was about to head off to bed. It was being reached because I thought, oh, is it on tonight? And then I realised, no, it was the one I watched from last week and it's also on the player. And I 100% agree with you, Mary. It is totally fascinating. She's an inc- she was incredible when she was our state pathologist and I always had great admiration for her. She was always so smartly dressed when she turned up doing she had some of the most awful cases and some of the saddest cases to have to deal with. But to listen to her speak with such great humanity and the way she spoke about being, you know, she's the last person really to be with somebody and of course if she's called the person has died in very very tragic circumstances and you could just imagine the dignity that she brought and when she dealt with the remains of someone's loved one and and I think for anybody watching the series if Marie Cassidy had been called as the state pathologist I think they must get great comfort from watching the programme because I just think her humanity very much comes to the fore but there's just no nonsense about her and I think doing that kind of job there can't be any nonsense about it she's going to get in there do the job and even to see her with her high heels she only wore the high heels for those jobs when she was going into court but she was always so smartly turned out when you saw her she always this stylishness about her classiness about her isn't it and she's got this gorgeous husband who we of course never would have seen before and how he was behind her you know with the kettle on ready to flick the TV on so she could watch Coronation Street but yeah it's it's a brilliant programme it's on the player if you've missed the first two but it's on again tonight I don't know if how many's in the series or not but I certainly am looking forward to it for sure so glad to give that a mention Mary thank you, thank you for that and glad to know you're enjoying it too and then some people commenting on Grace who has the security camera the neighbour's security camera she feels pointing too much onto her house and she's not comfortable with it somebody said surely what about GDPR GDPR in a case like this Uh, surely those cameras are invading Grace's space she surely has a a case and Grace has been back on because she heard me saying could she approach the person and ask can I come in and just see what footage you're filming of my house every day or you know what's on the security camera and uh, Grace said they did approach the person but they declined. They said, no, we don't want you to see what's on the uh, camera. She said, it's a web camera. It's on the window and the person, she said, definitely, it is directly pointed at Grace's house. Liam says, my neighbour did the very same thing, uh, which I also, like Grace, had a problem with. which, which, unlike Grace, I didn't have a problem with it initially until one day I was chatting to my neighbour and he started to tell me something I was doing in my own house. And I said, how did you know I was doing that? And then he kind of realised, oh, he, he spotted it on the camera and he kind of joked it off. And then Liam said, then I started to become uncomfortable about his security camera being pointed towards my house. Liam also agrees with Grace. She feels more laws need to be introduced to protect people from security cameras like this and Derek contacted us he was in the very same position as uh, Grace the neighbour had cameras clearly pointing at Derek's house now she said he also like Grace 
very politely, mentioned it to the person, but didn't get anywhere. Like with Grace's neighbours, said, no, I want my cameras pointing the way they're uh, pointing. And he also said, I can do what I like. They're on my property. I can point the cameras anywhere I want. So Grace went, or Mike Derrick went to the Gardaí and said, this is what's going on. Where do I stand from a legal point of view? And the Gardaí said, nothing we can do about it. It's actually a civil uh, matter. So Derek said, I just have to put up with it. The only positive was the Gardaí said, if God forbid something happened at Derek's house, like for example, there was a break in, then the neighbour would be forced to show the CCT f- footage that's on his cameras clearly pointing at Derek's house so that the Gardaí could investigate. So if you want to turn the negative into a positive, Derek and Grace now has kind of security on their house, courtesy of their neighbour and their neighbour would be forced by law to hand over the footage that's on the cameras. But there's no point now telling Grace to go to the Gardaí because Derek Derek went to the Gardaí and said it is a civil matter. So it's a civil matter unless you want to go down that route and take it to a solicitor's. But I suppose people don't want to be falling out with their neighbours either about it. But but the one thing I can tell you, Grace, from the calls we've just received in, you're not on your own. 1850-333-103. Going to take a break and we are back with Annalise Drissel, a nutrition therapist. Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. 
Annalise Drussell of the healthhubstore.com joins me from her shop in Times Square in Ballancolig. Uh, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let's get straight in with questions. A listener is on chemotherapy tablets at the moment. We wish you luck with that. And I'd like to know, is there anything I can take to keep my white blood set white blood cell level counts up while on the chemotherapy tablets? So there is there's a mushroom therapy um, that can be used at the same time as the difficult thing Patricia with chemotherapy is that a lot of natural things you can't take it at the same time because um, the chemotherapy is actually is poisoning your cells so anything that um, you know negates the effect of the poison could make the therapy less effective. So there's very little that you can take naturally um, in terms of integrative cancer therapy care. But there is a mushroom. It's called mycotherapy. It comes from mushrooms. And there's a company in Spain that have developed this program um, in conjunction with a couple of universities as part of integrative cancer care. And it's taking mushroom extracts to minimize the side effects of chemotherapy so you'd be less nauseous you wouldn't lose as much weight you may not lose your hair and also to keep your white blood cells up and support your immune system in a safe way and it can be used in conjunction with chemotherapy so the, the company is called Hefastatera and it is myco-onco- their myco-oncology range. I order them in specially for some of my customers. So if anybody's interested, let them give the, the shop a ring afterwards and I can talk them through it. The one downside is it's very expensive. OK, all right. And good luck on the, on the chemo. That's a, that's a difficult journey, but best of luck with it. Now, a listener, I think this listener actually messaged us last week as well and she sent on a picture of the product. It's called Spoonful Botanical. Have you heard of it? Yes, I have. It's a lovely young couple. Have um, they're Irish? Have, yep, they're Irish and they're all travelling. And they um, they became very interested in the way that herbs are used in other countries. So it is a fermented fruit and herb blend that you can put a spoon in on and your porridge. And there's a lot of natural anti-inflammatories in there, um, especially including turmeric and ginger. And it's a popular product. We sell it at 30 euros a jar and you just put a teaspoon onto your porridge or you could probably mix it in with some warm milk and have it as a drink as well. And Geraldine from Bantry wants to know what are the benefits of taking a spoonful of it every day? Well, I suppose it's the natural anti-inflammatory approach. So it would be the same as taking, you know, turmeric and ginger and other natural anti-inflammatories in your diet. But these have been fermented as well. So they have extra, um, they have extra health benefits in the form of good bacteria that will feed your healthy gut as well as the natural anti-inflammatories. Okay, Anne has, is of late suffering from what she describes as weakness in her legs. She is getting a lot of back pain and she's wondering, is the weakness in her legs connected with back pain? Would it be connected with back pain? It possibly could be, Patricia. I'd say um, certainly like I know a lot of, um, you know, having a trapped nerve or having a problem or a disc collapsing in your back can refer either upwards into your head or down into your legs. So it's definitely worth getting that checked out. It could be something to do with nerve supply to the legs. But other reasons for weakness in the legs, um, I've noticed a lot of people who are on the cholesterol drugs complain of weakness in their legs. Uh, Sometimes magnesium could be uh, responsible for that. Uh, Sorry, magnesium deficiency. So taking magnesium can help. But generally, you'd get more kind of restless as well as the weakness in your legs. 
and also people would that with a vitamin D deficiency or an iron deficiency would complain that their legs feel very heavy, that they find it hard to move their legs. So it could be any of those natural reasons, but if she's back problem, I'd, I'd, I'd put my money on that spot. Mm. Hi, question for Annalise, please. Is there anything that can help with colitis? So colitis is inflammation of the colon, and with everything natural, it's really about rather than managing symptoms, it's about trying to figure out what is the cause of your colitis. So a colitis can also be, some people would call it um, IBS, and it's when you get a flare-up. It's uh, Anything itis is inflammation of. So blepharitis is inflammation of the eyelids. Co- um, colitis is inflammation of the colon. So in my experience, irritable bowel syndrome, Patricia, your bowel is irritated for a reason, and these would be the three main things as far as I would see. One is that if it's ongoing for a long time, food intolerances. So 80% of your immune system is is in your gut. And if it's looking at a food and mounting an immune response, thinking that it's a threat, that creates inflammation and that contributes to IBS. The second would be that you've maybe picked up a parasite or a bug. um, and, And often colitis would start, you'd get your first bout of it on holidays and then you might get recurrent flare ups of it after that because the, um, the parasite is still within your system. And then the third one is medication use. So most people would be familiar with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen or aspirin irritating your gut. But other ones like the contraceptive pill and antibiotics also can create um, you know, um, inflammation and colitis, inflammation and colitis in the gut as well. So, if any of those three reasons are the cause, if you pin it back to any of that, um, obviously trying to remove the problem. So, if you think it's as a parasite, taking antiparasitic and antifungal herbs like oregano, thyme extract, caprylic acid, um, garlic extract, clove extract, these are all wonderful natural antifungal antibacterials and they can give the gut a good clean out and then putting in a good bacteria and go for a probiotic with at least six different strains in there because you want a good broad spectrum repopulation of the gut and then you can take something for gut healing like uh, the nature's plus gi wellness is very good Um, that's very good for gut healing and these can often sort of kind of reset the gut and get it back to health but if you're prone to it, it might be something that you need to treat maybe once a year or once every two years just to get yourself back on your feet again. OK, Mary has picked up ringworm. She was in contact with cattle. Any remedy for ringworm? OK, so actually the same antifungal, antibacterial herbs that um, I spoke about there would be would work for that too, Patricia. Um, so there are a number of different ones. I'll put a few up on Facebook. But if you're going into your local health shop, you are looking for things, as I said, like clove extract, garlic extract, grapefruit seed extract, thyme extract, oregano oil extract, pau d'arco, spelled P-A-O, capital D apostrophe, A-R-C-O is a wonderful one. Actually, Dr. Claire does a kind of a paraclean, uh, paracen it's called, and that's a kind of a natural antifungal for thrush or antiparasite for ringworm. Um, and you can also, from Dr. Delish Clare, you can get an antifungal cream, which is good to treat it on the skin as well. You should be careful because that's contagious, isn't it? You can pass it on. You can pass it yeah, on. So, so make you... sure you're washing. <laughs> excuse me. You're washing your clothes at a high temperature and on their own as well. So yeah, yeah. Not you, passing it in the wash. You don't either. want everybody in the household getting it. Now, last week we spoke about a buzzing in somebody's ear, and we were talking about uh, tinnitus. And you gave advice, and you mentioned a product. Eileen was back on saying, "Could you re- could you mention that product again, please?" That you suggested for buzzing in the ear. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the now it's very hard to get, Patricia. It's the, it's by a company called Nature's Plus, and it's called Age Loss Hearing Support. You may be able to find it online. I actually probably bought up the last of the stocks in Ireland and England about a year ago, and I've just run out now. I was keeping it, um, and they're talking about reformulating it, but they haven't at the moment. So if you're going to try an order, try the states is probably your best bet. And the other thing as well, Patricia, that I don't think I mentioned last week when we were talking about tinnitus, is actually tinnitus can often come from your neck and your spine. I get it in my head when my neck is really bad and I go to a very good chiropractor and she sorts me out. Um, but, you know, if it's a, if it's um, if you've a bad neck or a bad back, tinnitus... It's worth looking at that. that well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. checking it out. Helen says, uh, Annalise, would you have any suggestions, please, for a fungal nail infection? So the fungal nail infection, um, again, this is something that you need to actually probably treat your socks and your shoes as well because it can be passed. A lot of people will pick up fungal toe infection or fungal foot, athlete's foot from swimming pools and that sort of thing. So the best thing I think is the um, grapefruit seed extract in liquid form. It's called citricidal, C-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L. And it is the extract of grapefruit seed. It's very, very bitter. Be careful if you're on certain medications. Check because it's not suitable with all of them. You can take it internally. I always take it when I go away on holidays, Patricia, and then I don't worry so much about, you know, getting um, contaminated water and getting a stomach problem. Um, But in terms of your um, athlete's foot or fungal toe, you can put about 10 to 15 drops into some warm water and do a foot bath, soak your feet for 20 minutes. It's lovely because it gets right in under the nails as well. You can put it in the washing machine when you're washing your socks. You can rub it onto the inside of your shoes as well. And if it is, um, if it's a fungal toe, you could actually apply a couple of the drops directly onto the toe every morning and every evening as well. You need to treat it regularly and it'll be the new nail growing up that you'll see will be healthy. And I would also warn that for some people, the nail may go black before the new nail comes up. So don't be surprised if that happens. But then the, the new nail will arrive. Hi, Annalise. I'm on blood pressure tablets and my blood pressure can vary, uh, but I'm on the tablets. But I'm wondering, is there any food or supplement that would help with the medication? Yes. Now, food is always the best way to go if you're already on medication because it's less likely to interfere. So beetroot is excellent and also celery. Beetroot is very good because it's very high in nitrites and these help flush the um, the little blood vessels open and they can help drop blood pressure in that way because the, the blood vessels aren't tight and constricted. The other thing, um, then celery juice is very good because it's very high in potassium. So that's good. I also recommend for people sometimes to take a pinch of sea salt in a, a litre of water and drink um, drink that throughout the day. It's good because it's getting all of the electrolytes in there in the right balance. Um, whereas a lot of people, when we use table salt, if it's not sea salt, um, it's, it's just pure sodium chloride and that can increase your blood pressure. Um, also, taking fish oils would be safe with a blood pressure tablet. And fish oils are lovely because they make your blood nice and thin but they're also very good for the health of the veins and the um, arteries and the tiny little capillaries. They make them lovely and flexible. So they help in that way. But things like hawthorn which and you know, which and garlic supplements, which often would be recommended for blood pressure, would not be safe if you're on a tablet because it might drop it too quickly. OK. Um, hi. This is a, a great sympathy for this listener. It says, Patricia um, and Lise, while out walking, I'm having a problem with my bowel movements. Even though I would have emptied my bowels before starting out on my walk, it happens very quickly. I'm having accidents. They can be numerous times. Any advice, please? 
Yeah, and that's actually the worst for people who suffer from IBS, Patricia, as well as, you know, not being able to go somewhere where they know that there's, you know, that there's toilets that they can use. It's quite common. So the first thing I would recommend is an Irish company supplement called Alflorex. It's made here in Cork, actually. The research is done here in Cork. So Alflorex is a probiotic and it's been used in the CUH on a lot of the IBS trials. And I find myself that it works better for people who've got IBS diarrhea. I'd also take it in conjunction with a more broad spectrum anti um, probiotic because that's only one particular strain. So if you take it with a biocult at the same time, that's putting in the good bacteria. And then some people would find taking psyllium is very good because it can help kind of bring more form to the stool so it's less leaky. Um, and you'll buy psyllium husk in any health shop. Just add a tablespoon of it onto your breakfast cereal in the morning. Okay, this says I'm feeling banjaxed. I'm recurring mouth ulcers, but I wake in the morning with a very dry mouth. I'm banjaxed. <laughs> Any advice, please? Okay. So the dry mouth, Patricia, it could be a, the cause of the mouth ulcers or it might be something totally different. So a lot of people who wake with dry mouth, the first question I ask them, is your nose blocked? Because if you're breathing through your mouth, that's why it's dry. It's not any more complicated than that. But... There is a syndrome called Sorgren's syndrome and it is an autoimmune disorder where the mucus producing cells are affected. So they're not able to produce mucus and saliva. Your eyes get dry, your tissues get dry, your mouth gets very dry and you would be very prone to getting mouth ulcers. So uh, if there is a history of autoimmune disease in the family, it might be worth getting checked out for that. So what I always recommend for mucus producing cells is omega-7. It comes from sea buckthorn. It's very good for dry anything. It's good for dry eye. It's good for vaginal dryness if you're a woman after menopause. It's good for dry mouth. It's great for people who've got Sorgren's syndrome. And if you you do have Sorgren's, taking it in conjunction with the fish oil omega-3. Don't worry about the 6 and 9. It's the omega-3 you're looking for. Again, that's very good for the health of all of your membranes and it's a natural anti-inflammatory and immune balancer for autoimmune disease. So that's a good one for Sorgren's as well. And then the last thing I'd say on mouth ulcer is to actually look at your toothpaste that you're using. A lot of people are simply just allergic or develop an allergy to sodium lauryl sulfate, which is the foaming agent often used in commercial toothpaste. So go to the health store, get a natural toothpaste with no sodium lauryl sulfate in there um, and that often can clear up the problem and then if you're in pain colloidal silver is very good to spray on it and that's very good for making sure they don't get infected and to improve healing Okay listener wants to know and I don't know if this is predictive text or not but it's down as pseudo gout in the wrists any cure for it? Okay I'm not sure what pseudo gout No I, the pseudo could just be predictive yeah. text but gout in the wrists Well gout gout is the uric acid build up um, so what happens in some people, their kidneys are not very good at getting rid of urea and uric acid out of the blood and it builds up to levels where it crystallizes out into the joints. So the key really for gout is prevention. Taking cherry juice is very good as a natural preventative. It's the sour cherry juice you're looking for and you take a glass of it every day. Or you could take it in a supplement. The Terra Nova do a supplement that has got tart cherry juice powder, nettle powder and there's turmeric in there for the inflammation as well. That might actually be a better one for the pseudo-gout because of the natural anti-inflammatory turmeric in there, which is good for any type of arthritis at all. Um, And also another lovely natural anti-inflammatory is Boswellia. So Pucca, who mostly do the teas, they have a lovely supplement called Pucca Active. 
and that has got a combination of four or five different natural anti-inflammatories, including that Boswellia and including turmeric. So that's always a great one for any pain to bring it down quickly. Okay, and finally, my son has a breakout of redness slash rash on his face, diagnosed with contact dermatitis. Any cream to calm or heal it besides using a steroid cream? Yeah, that's, it can be a difficult one, Patricia, because once you're in a kind of a flare-up of that, it can be hard for, um, you know, for using products because the skin is so sensitive. So anything is going to make it flare again. The one thing I think works very well is the Dr. Claire. It's actually an anti-itch cream and she's an anti-scar cream. The anti-itch cream, I think, has absolutely no um, essential oils in there like tea tree and lavender, which often would be used to calm down a rash because they're very soothing. But for some people with contact dermatitis, even essential oils can irritate. So the Dr. Claire anti-scar or anti-itch cream, if you can get your hands on that, has no chemicals in there. And that's very good for immediate relief of an itchy skin. And maybe if it's, um, if it's a kind of part of an allergic reaction, if there's antihistamines have been found to help, taking stinging nettle can be very good for any kind of a rash. Um, you can get it in tincture form in most health shops and taking a dose of that just to bring down the histamine and calm the kind of the driving force behind the dermatitis might help as well. Okay, and you'll put up all the information online at the healthhubstore.com under, what's it in the radio, isn't it? As mentioned on as the radio. As mentioned so, on the radio, thank if you. you. Go, if you go into the as mentioned on the radio, it'll list all the products if you want to Great. buy it. But if you want the information, the Facebook page has all the information. You're fantastic. We'll talk to you next Monday, Annalise. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And thanks for joining us. And I know John Paul puts our, our, my chat with Annalise up as a separate podcast in the afternoon as well because we get inundated with people saying, what did Annalise mention for this, that or the other? So you can check it out there as well. That's Annalise Drissel, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And her website is healthhubstore.com. Uh, calm. Hi Patricia, this is Michael. I got, I just got a text from AIR saying the charge for their email service is increasing by a further €4. Euro. I think it's a disgrace, says Michael. Remember when they introduced that charge and it wasn't a lot at the start and people said, yeah, wait for this, this will be the start of it. That will continue to go up and up. So there you go, AIR are charging an extra €4 euro for their uh, email service. And hi, Patricia. The Mary Cassidy programme on RTE tonight. Tonight is the last episode, says Tony in Cork. It was a great show. I was wondering that. I didn't know. So there's only three parts in it. OK, so I would suggest that somebody said, what time is that on? It's on after the news. I think at half nine, isn't it? Kind of 25 to 10. I'm sure it's on. But certainly you could catch it on the player as well if you've missed the previous two because it's been on for the last two Mondays as well. So tonight is the final one. Thank you. Uh, Tony and Cork, a man in the know. Now, that's where we pack it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock on to the Nine Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and stay safe. Court Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.